2: Everyone to the Total Soccer Show. I am back in the office, which means I can yell as loud as I want without scaring the dogs. If you woke up this morning for the USA's final group stage game against Australia, credit to you, and also apologies. That nil-nil draw allowed the US to advance to the knockout round, courtesy of a second-place finish in the group—four points from three games. Not quite the emphatic finish we were hoping for, uh, but we will break it down why that might have been the case. The U.S. will take on the Netherlands on Friday morning. Uh, The Netherlands winning their group in style with Vivian Miedema scoring, I believe, two more goals than the entire U.S. team combined. So a strong performance from her. Uh, Here with me to discuss the USA's draw with Australia are two wonderful people. First up, a friend of the show who always counts marginally offside Alex Morgan goals. It's Jordan Angeli. Hi, Jordan.
3: Hello, I do think it was a goal too, so great way to start it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it felt, it felt very close, if yeah.
2: not onside. I, I think that line, it's always that case where that line, right. like the width of the line sometimes dictates.
3: Yep. Well, I'm happy to be here and happy to be on that side of the line, I guess.
2: <laughs> uh, all right. And also with me is a man who has all the solutions for how the U.S. can change their setup and win this whole tournament. It's Joe Lowry. Joe, thanks for being willing to provide uh-huh. such
1: uh-huh. knowledge today. Uh, uh, yes, I have all the answers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I will. Actually, I'm just going to talk with Vlaco. I, I don't think I'm <laughs> yeah. going to share all of them here. I can't tip my hand entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he and I will have that chat later on. Uh, also, going back to Jordan's intro, I was watching... Beach volleyball last night. It was the U.S. and Brazil in in men's beach volleyball. And they were having the same types of discussion about uh, one of the rules of being able to hit the volleyball over the net if it's on your side or if it's on the other side or whatever the situation was. They're having the same VAR arguments in beach volleyball that we're having in (laughs) soccer. And it kind of made me feel just a little bit better that we're not the only sport doing this stuff. Everybody's confused by everything, Joe.
2: You didn't know that? (laughs) I do now, Taylor. I do now. Joe, if you were going to have that talk with Vlatko, what's the approach? Are you going with like, hey, buddy, and then arm (laughs) around the shoulder? Like, how would you approach that one? Would
1: you be firm in trying to convey that you know what you're talking about? Oh, no. Because I'm not sure I do. I mean, sometimes I feel like I do. Sometimes I feel like I don't. And soccer is complicated. So I think I'd rather hear – genuinely, I think Mm -hmm. I'd really like to hear – his ideas behind some of the things that the U.S. does, and not just in this game, right, not just in this game where they're naturally conservative, but in some other games as well, and then, I don't know, then have a back and forth. But, yeah, I'm sure he has reasons, but I don't always understand what they are.
2: Yeah, that's about where I am with him, and I think I want to stress up front, we got a bunch of questions about what's going wrong, how can this team be fixed, what should they be doing? Uh, We're going to answer a few questions later in the show. We're going to try to break down what happened today and maybe give some suggestions for why things aren't quite clicking yet at this point but i think J- joe a thing that you have uh, hit upon there and i think jordan a thing that you would definitely agree with is that vlatko knows this team far better than we ever will he knows <laughs> these players they've been together day in and day out for a while now so i think to presume that we know more or we know exactly what's going on or exactly what they're trying to do would be the height of arrogance and ignorance instead i think what we're going to try to do is just look at this performance and figure out what we liked and mostly what we didn't like. At least that's my perspective. And that's where I want to start, Jordan, is with your sort of overall impression from this performance. It's it's a little too generic to just be like, so, thoughts on the game? So what I'll <laughs> right. instead ask is, if you're giving a quick summary to a person who missed this game, how are you describing it? Is it uninspiring? Is it good enough for now? Whatever you want, what would it be?
3: Yeah, I would. I think the word I would... Describe this game as as uneventful. I think that it didn't have to be eventful for the U.S. to move forward, and it turned out that way. It turned out to be a very blase game. There Mm -hmm. wasn't much going on. Um, And at the end of the game, to think that I saw some of the stats, and I'm Joe knows I'm not always great with uh, digging up these stats, but I did watch till the end to make sure I saw the big um, stats that NBC puts up and. It was possession in favor of Australia, and but it was only two shots on frame. And I think that that was a little surprising given what we saw over the 90 minutes. Um, so I think uneventful would be what I would describe it. And I don't really think that gets you to be like, oh, I'm going to go back and watch this game.
2: And just to be clear, is that two shots on frame for both teams or for one team?
3: Oh, for Australia had two okay. shots on okay. frame. The U.S. had four.
2: All right. That's... Yeah. Six total. That's yeah. That's almost <laughs> meeting my numbers, though not quite. Uh, Joe, what about you? what What would be your sort of summary description for this one?
1: Uh, from the U.S. perspective, at least, good enough. I think mm-hmm. is a pretty strong, mm-hmm. a pretty solid way to describe it. It wasn't. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't fun, and there are actual issues there. But at the same time it was good enough to get out of the group. And if you're the U.S. Women's National Team, that's what people are going to remember. Yeah, we'll remember, oh, remember that one time we woke up really early and the game was really bad and blah, blah. We'll remember that, sort of. But if the U.S. go on and have a run in the knockout rounds of this tournament, we're not really going to remember the details of this performance. And that's what Vlako and the U.S. Women's National Team are counting on. And I think it's a pretty solid gamble from them but it, it, i mean it didn't make for a compelling soccer game like jordan's talking about it wasn't eventful there wasn't a lot going on that was fun to dig into and analyze but i think it was good enough taylor
2: yeah and and i think uh, i'm going to make my second very obvious statement of the show the first being that vlatko knows this team better than we do the second being that uh we can't really say If this has been a positive or negative performance from the U.S. or overall tournament until we know how it finishes and if they go on to win the whole thing, then I think we can look back at this game against Australia as maybe when they figured some things out that were working and figured some things out that were not. And I think there was an element of getting a different look, a different identity to this team Uh, if need be going forward a different style of play so I think I'm with you both that I'm not as disappointed as I think a lot of people I'm certainly not in the Fire Vlatko right now camp I'm not even in the Fire Vlatko maybe in the future camp at least yet but we'll see how the knockout round goes for now let's stick with the Australia game Uh, Joe how did the U.S. line up in this one and were you surprised by any of the adjustments they made?
1: Yes, I was surprised. So personnel-wise, I guess, no, to start off. There were a couple of changes from the last game against New Zealand. Alyssa Nair in goal, Becky Sauerbrunn and, and Davidson in uh, the middle of the back line. Then you had Crystal Dunn and Kelly O'Hara as the fullbacks. Julie Ertz in midfield, Rose Liddell, uh, Sam Mewis a little higher up in midfield. And then you had Alex Morgan as the nine and Christian Press and Megan Rapino as the wingers. So that's that's how the shape was on paper. But the, the area that I was surprised about was the US changing their defensive shape so that they, they've defended in a 433 for ever for certainly this (laughs) tournament so far i cannot remember the last time i saw the u.s change that up in any real consistent way i'm sure it's happened before and i'd like to know when but in this game they came out in a 4-4-2 mid block they didn't press they sat deep and they they, well they didn't sit deep but they sat around midfield a little higher than that letting australia control the the tempo Yeah, yeah 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 exactly exactly it's all relative and they they allowed australia to control possession and alex morgan and rose lavelle were the front two and they were constantly constantly shadowing and just trying to block off passing angles into the double pivot of Australia's 3-4-3 that kind of looks like kind of looks like a three box like a midfield box of four and then three in the front or a 3-2-5 it was flexible and it changed especially in the second half but that was the approach and from the start of this game you could see okay the U.S. are not really going for it they're trying to be conservative they're trying to absorb pressure win the ball and then counterattack. and again good enough it got the job done I guess
3: can I just stick with that point? Because I think it's really interesting. The U.S. played Sweden in their first game and Sweden high pressed them and they were in the U.S. high pressed back or tried to high press back. And I think it didn't work out for the U.S., right? So everybody leaves that game against Sweden saying, okay, you have to adjust during the middle of the game to make sure you're, you're managing those moments and not just trying to initiate a high press all the time and then getting beat quickly. And now Sweden's going forward with numbers. So I think. Against you watch that um Australia Sweden game, and Australia scores two goals off of really pressing from Sweden beating the high press and getting Sam Kerr in behind and that's something that I think if you look at you know it's not just Sam Kerr but the the front runners for Australia are good in those transition moments in beating a high press so I don't feel like Australia was able to find those spaces where they're really good, especially Sam Kerr. She wasn't in behind the back line. I, I can't think of one time she's got one of those opportunities where she's, you know, threading the back line at midfield and trying to get in behind, which she loves to do. So I think that's a real positive. If you're thinking about the U.S., just the change of tactics. Um, I don't know if it's what everybody wants, wanted to see, but I think it is a good, it shows their ability to adjust and say, okay, we don't have to high-press all the time. Let's just make them break us down. And Australia did at times, right? It's not as if it was perfect at all. But I think that it was a totally different look from the U.S.
2: Yeah, I think it was too. And I think emphasizing or nullifying Sam Kerr is is what you have to do to beat Australia. Mm-hmm. And I think for people who are new to soccer or sort of like passively watching... Anytime you have a, a talismanic number nine, even though I think she was wearing number two, but that like that central striker who's going to be uh, good in the air, who's going to most likely score the goals, as soon as you see that player dropping towards midfield or moving further away from the U.S. backline, further away from the front line for Australia and trying to get on the ball, to me that says maybe that's a game plan, but a lot of the time it's frustration, it's them not kind of getting looks in advantageous positions, so they're trying to move into space where they can then dictate the style of play get more involved and i think that was definitely a positive for the u.s i think this game tended to be a lot of like oh i can see what they're doing here (laughs) but i wish it was just a little bit tighter because with that sort of midfield pivot that we had with julie Ertz and sam muis what i kept seeing was the front three slash four usually four uh doing a good job of blocking off some of the passing lanes, sitting on that double pivot, as Joe said, but then the rest of the U.S. still kind of sitting off deeper, and you'd have that front four, then there'd be a 20-yard gap, and then you'd have that midfield two. And even when they were able to limit Australia's passing options, occasionally the Aussies would play through that, would find a player in between those gaps, and then the U.S. seemed to really struggle. And I, and I don't know if either of you have thoughts on this one, but why the U.S., didn't just step those lines up maybe 10 yards, the back line steps up 10 yards, the midfield line steps up 10 yards. I guess that does then open up space for Sam Kerr, so maybe that's the answer. But I feel like in trying to nullify Sam Kerr, they did then give space elsewhere that could have been uh, taken advantage of.
1: For me, nullifying Sam Kerr, and and Mm -hmm. especially just being compact in the back, was a lot more important in this game for the U.S. than stepping those lines forward. It is a trade-off, right, Taylor? You you either step forward and you leave some extra space in behind or you sit deep and you leave a little bit of extra space in midfield. Australia found some of those pockets in midfield, but they never really turned those pockets into meaningful chances. A couple of their best chances in this game actually came off of throw-ins. There were a couple different sequences in the first half. So not kind of open play because the ball goes back in quickly and then you're playing from there, but they both were pretty pretty quick after throw-ins in the, in the U.S.'s own half. So I don't, I, don't really, I don't really find a lot of faults with the 4-4-2 and how it was executed. There were little things. Like Australia found this pattern of playing behind the U.S.'s outside midfielder, which was either Megan Rapinoe or Kristen Press to start the game, and then drawing Kelly O'Hara or Crystal Dunn forward and then playing outside the center backs in that pocket behind the fullbacks. They did that four or five times in the first half and in some in the second half too – but it just never really transferred into actual chances. And so if I'm the U.S., I, I'm looking at that four-four-two 2 block and saying, man, job done. We nailed that part. The real issue for me in this game for the U.S. was with their attacking work. And, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But defensively, I thought it was actually pretty good.
2: I think I think I sort of, like, when I was asking that question, set it up to realize that I had in my notes, like, Sam Kerr nullified and having to drop in. And then at yeah. the same time, the U.S. sitting deep. I wonder why they're doing that and not really putting that together. That does make a lot of sense. And, Joe, as you said, I think then the, the defensive side of things uh, and the early point from Jordan, like, not a ton of clear-cut opportunities for Australia – but Jordan, uh, then we get to the U.S. attacking play. And I do mm-hmm. think that's where they struggled a lot. Were there particular things you noticed, particular patterns that weren't working or particular uh, just approaches that you thought maybe didn't connect in the way they were intended to?
3: Yeah, I have. A, I actually want to ask you guys a question on it because we're seeing more teams play this five-back system, right? So Australia, when they got into more of that mid to low block, they, they look like a 5-2-3, right? With those three... With three front runners looking like they were really shading plays into the center of the the midfield, not super high pressing the back line. Um, I think those are those moments where you were saying Taylor that I think the back line for the U.S. could have pushed through and got beaten that first line of defense because there was a lot of space next to those two midfielders for Australia. But what I noticed with the U.S. and where I'm a little like, I wonder what you guys see when you're watching all these games against um, when teams play a five-back, is there were times where the U.S. had, it's just, it lacks movement when you're the team attacking a five-back, because there were five players at times. It was Sam Uwis, Rose Lavelle, uh, Kristen Press, Megan Rapino, and Alex Morgan, all on the back line. And nobody was adding the depth of Running into those gaps either in between the two holding midfielders for Australia or right outside them. It was like the US was switching it back and forth and back and forth and they couldn't find somebody to pass to because there were no, there was no dimension to the attack for the US. Is that something you guys see against a, a team that plays a five back? Is that a typical thought, thought pattern for an opponent? Like, hey, let's just get as many people high as possible and then try to get it to our, our outside backs in this case Kelly O'Hara had a lot of crosses into the box from a you know an early crossing position trying to target at least one of those players to get a little flick a little nod on it just seemed it it lacked I feel like dimension is the right word and I don't know if that's what you guys see a lot when you're watching these types of games
1: I haven't I haven't seen that really much before and I think there's a reason for that. It's because it really doesn't work. Right. When you attack with the ball, you need depth, you need dimension like you're saying Jordan. You you see teams that that try to go out there and possess the ball have players staggered across the field and they have lots of different lines and they have well spaced out coordinated movements. The U.S. don't have that. And that's not just a this-game problem. That's a this-tournament problem. And it's been a problem for the U.S. in the past. We've seen their ability to break teams down with the ball and use it and have these lovely passing combinations but too often they don't go that route. And this is my opinion. This is, this is what I'd really be curious to talk with Vlatko about and understand why the U.S. choose to approach games this way. Because, Jordan, the, the spacing that you're describing or maybe mm-hmm. the lack of proper spacing that you're describing, there was a really good example of that, bad example of that, 30th minute. The U.S. are in possession. Kelly <laughs> O'Hara's on the ball on the far side. As she receives the ball, it's Rapinoe, Morgan, Mewis, Press-Lavelle, the same five players that you talked about. They're forming this front five. It's not staggered at all. They're all in this horizontal line, like perfectly in line, and they're all trying to make the pretty much the exact same run in behind the back line. Rose Lavelle comes and shows to the ball a little bit, mm-hmm. but she can't really get involved in the play. And so it just is Kelly O'Hara whipping in this ball that, that doesn't, connect and it, they actually end up getting a corner out of it and that's the header that Alex Morgan scores and then doesn't score right but still it's, it's poor spacing and all throughout this game there was poor spacing all throughout this tournament there's been poor spacing it was better against New Zealand but but man it, it just doesn't make sense to me it's not a yeah. logical way to break teams down and it, it puts players like Rose Lavelle in positions and, and asks her to do a job that she's just not comfortable with it's not her best thing i'm I'm ranting at this point taylor do you have any thoughts on on the possession setup i do i like your rant and i want to give you a moment to put that arm around uh, a
2: Vlatko. so i'm going to give you that chance we're going to hear from some advertisers and then we'll be back for for my thoughts on jordan's question
0: looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone
2: We are back. We are discussing maybe why the U.S. didn't look as good in possession, why they weren't able to find more opportunities, and why they maybe looked a little bit static. And I think that's that's the distinction I would draw. I think you guys are talking about when the U.S. got the ball a little bit further up the field or maybe did get those numbers up the field. I think part of the explanation for why it wasn't working also goes to when the U.S. was trying to build from further back. Because oftentimes what I saw was a very strange shape to me of the back four sort of spread with your two center backs usually passing back and forth for a minute. Then you had Julie Ertz in her usual position, maybe 10 to 15 yards ahead of them, central. And then it routinely was like 20 to 30 yards in front of Julie Mm -hmm. Ertz where Mewis and Rose Lavelle within like five yards of each other, which seemed strange to me. And then you had that front four, front three sort of spread and also pushed high. And then sometimes Rose Lavelle would go join them. And then you have this weird like four, one, space, 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 one four, and it and it just that shape doesn't allow you to get any sort of sustained possession or passing through the middle. What it tends to be is or like like it would be in this case Sauerbrunn to Ertz, Ertz to Davidson, Davidson to Dunn. Done back to Davidson, Davidson to Ertz, and then Ertz kind of hoofs it long, or some version of that. And I think if you don't have those passes through the middle, if you're not getting people on the ball in the same space, and then you collectively move forward together, I think of uh, Spain on the men's side, who do so well at possessing the ball up the field, and then once they get within 20 to 30 yards of goal sometimes to their detriment, they continue to have that possession and move it back and forth and try to pull the defense out or spread the defense apart and open up those gaps. And I think for the U.S., when you have that front four just pushed very high and it seems like their job was to stretch Australia and push them back and make the field as big as possible, that works if they're trying to press and you're trying to limit the effectiveness of that press. But to me, it also then limits the U.S.'s ability to connect passes if everybody is spread and you don't have anybody within 20 yards of you when you receive it necessitates going long or sort of big switches. And I think it it really prevents the United States from getting any sort of passing rhythm, uh, especially in the uh, opposition half.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just, (laughs) I I laughed earlier when Joe said the 30th minute because I had written that same thing down. I feel like that was a really good example of that. When, when the U S were building up, and these are the things where I think people get frustrated with coaching um, but I, I am like, these are, per- these are the best players in the world. Mm-hmm. If you can't make a, a tactical adjustment once you are on the field, because, you know, Australia is not playing the same way every single game. It's not as if you're going into, you, you expect certain things, mm-hmm. but they're going to throw wrinkles at you, especially in the, one of the best tournaments that these, you know, one of the two biggest tournaments that these teams play in. they're going to throw wrinkles at you during these games that you're not going to expect. And I, especially playing against Tony Gustafson, the, the head coach used to be a really big part of this U.S. team, so I think the, the U.S. team maybe went in thinking like, hey, we know his tactics, we know what, what he's going to implement, and then he comes out of them with this five-two-three defensive setup, and the U.S. are like, whoa, we never played this, how do we break this down? Not as if they don't know how to do it, it just looked like they were a little shell-shocked, and then to me, I think the bigger point of this game, what was caused from that first game against Sweden is I feel the U.S. are just pressing the game too much. They're pressing it in the the fact that they're trying to do too much in in moments where they don't have to do that much, where they can just connect and build a rhythm and pull a team apart through their movement. But when you're pressing the game, this is what happens, right? You throw five players on the back line and there's lack of movement because you're like, we got to get it in. We got to score a goal. We got to do this. And it just felt like they were pressing through the majority of this game. Um, so I would I would just think, you know, when, when they were... I was surprised, I guess I should say, that there wasn't more variability in taking that... Okay, put, press five people against the back line. And then pull three people off the back line and try to overload the middle of the field and see if people run with you. Well, if those center backs run with you, then there's a little slip run in behind with less players on the back line to an Alex Morgan or to a Kristen Press or whatever it may be. But because they didn't have that off-the-ball movement, I think passes were going awry. I think passes were mishit. I think they thought people were going to be in a certain space, and then they weren't. Or the movement was a little off, so then they just missed the pass, and it wasn't quite what the crispness that we, we normally see from the U.S. So... Yeah, it was strange. It yeah. felt like instead of working harder off the ball, they were just like, we got to get more players higher. And um, I, I think it's a little bit on the team. They have to make those tactical adjustments within the context of the game because they're really intelligent players and they have the ability to do that.
2: Jordan, I, I, I want to stick with the idea of what the players could have done versus what uh, the manager, Vlatko, could have done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have obviously played at a, a much higher level than Joe or myself, uh, <laughs> but I will come at this from my amateur perspective and then turn it to you to hear how you would respond. But let's say you're in this situation where you're playing a team. I, my argument would be that the U.S., I think, expected Australia to be this high-pressure, high-intensity team. Uh, similar to what they faced against Sweden. And so I think they set up to nullify that and then try to exploit the vulnerabilities that would be presented by a high press. At halftime, still nil-nil. They've nullified Sam Sam Kerr. They frustrated Australia a little bit, but I think they've also frustrated themselves. My tendency when I was coaching and then as a player was to kind of aim for like three talking points, three digestible points that you can convey to your team of here's what we want to do here. Here's how we want to change this. We need to track this player better. And you've given people key like or like very specific things that need to be worked on that need to be improved. And then it's up to the kind of individual players to, to sort of figure out how to make that work in the game for you. When you were playing, what was the instruction that you preferred at halftime or what were the sort of more effective ways coaches could convey? This isn't working. This is how it needs to change. Here's how we want it to change.
3: Yeah. I think that that's a really, what, what you're saying is pretty spot on. You don't want to give too much information at least to the the general team, mm-hmm. you know, to everybody, a couple of points, maybe a couple of things on defense, a couple of things on attack that you can, you can pin and key in on and say, okay, this is how we can go. Um, but I think that there is always opportunities for the players to talk amongst themselves. And I think that's sometimes where the best problem solving comes about, because for example, for this, for Australia, I, I think that the U S did um, a little bit better of a job, cutting off those those um joe mentioned it was a box in the midfield and those two players that were sitting underneath sam kerr the higher of those four midfielders i think the u.s did a little bit better of a job in the second half of not allowing those players to get on the ball quite as often not to say that they didn't but um they managed that space a little bit better so was that a conversation that vlaco had or was that the player's just managing and saying, "Hey, this is what's happening here. How can we solve this on our own?" And those conversations happen all the time during a game. Like that is something that's constantly happening. So you can say, um, "When this particular thing happens, then we can get at him here, or we need to watch this player who's running in from deep." So those are the little the little adjustments that, I mean, a, a coach can tell you things, but at the end of the day, you're the you're given this responsibility for a reason. You're good at your job. You know how to make those adjustments. So. I, I do think that these women have the ability to make those adjustments within the game. It doesn't have to even just be halftime. Um, that they're constantly trying to assess what's going right and what's going wrong. And sometimes when you're searching for a goal or you feel like maybe you're not playing up to your... this, I just keep feeling this. like they They feel like they're not playing up to par, especially the attacking prowess of this team, that they're just pressing a little bit and that's causing turnovers. And then they're not used to that. They're not used to um not being on the front foot and i think it's just causing them a little bit of uh, they're a little uncomfortable. I don't know if you guys sense that. Yeah,
2: I do and i and i'm glad you took us in that direction because like i had in my notes this is the second time i've written this about this us team i think in the calendar year there were moments in this game where it felt a little bit like don't you guys know who we are? Like and and, and i think so often that sounds like i'm saying Uh, This team is arrogant or this team sort of just expects the result to be given to them. I think sometimes when they don't get a call, you can see that like, don't you know who we are? And it is a little bit of the arrogance, but I don't even mean that here. I mean that more of it's like, but you all aren't supposed to be able to do this. And there seems to be just that discomfort that comes with. You're a team that's supposed to sit back against the U.S. and then try try to counterattack. Like you you all are coming at us. Don't you know that you're supposed to be more defensive? Like it it just seems like the rhythm and the patterns that the U- United States is used to are mm-hmm. being disrupted. And when those are disrupted. I tweeted that it seems like Sam Sam Kerr has a little bit uh, – excuse me, Sam Mewis has a, like a case of the yips that there are times Ooh. when I see her not being able to just complete a five-yard pass. And she's a world-class player. I think she has been one of the best players on this team in this pool for a very long time. But to see her, I forget the minute. I wrote it down. Uh, 62nd minute and 10 seconds. It's like their U.S. win the ball back. They're in transition. They have attackers wide. They've got numbers through the middle. And it's a really promising moment. And Sam, Sam U.S. just turns and completely mishits a pass straight to an Australian player. And now Australia have the the momentum. And I don't think that's just suddenly she's bad. I don't think it's her panicking because I think she has more poise right. than I will ever have. I think it's just that when your rhythms and your general style of play get disrupted, then your overall style of play is disrupted. And it's harder to play on instinct. And by repetition, you end up playing more by like, oh, is this where I want to play the ball? And I often say, as soon as you're saying, I hope this pass comes off, I better hit this one right, you're sort of putting yourself into a negative mindset, a negative territory. And I think that is a huge part of what we saw from the U.S. today. Rather than end this on a rant monologue, Joe, I'll just ask you, Am I being unfair to maybe maybe to Sam U.S. specifically, but to this team in general? Or did you see moments where the U.S. just didn't look as confident or calm on the ball?
1: Yes. Oh, absolutely. And, and not just Sam Mewis. In the first half, I, I was noticing just passes going everywhere, but not to the intended target, right? There's a moment in the 13th minute where the U.S. finally have a chance to build up. And I'm thinking, okay, deep breath. This is a chance to move forward and progress the ball, play through midfield, get the ball out to your wingers, Kristen Presser, Megan Rapino, and have them go at someone and then put a ball in the box, like a nice little cutback in the box. Instead, it's Tierna Davidson on the ball, and yep. she tries to play it out wide on the left. Not a, not a, not a hard pass, really, in the 13th minute in build up to Dunn, and it, it just sails right past her. It just doesn't find the target. Then there's a moment a few minutes later, Megan Rapinoe is on the ball in midfield, and, and she just loses it. And there are too many moments just like that, or just like the one you described with Sam Mewis. It's hard to win games, regardless of what your tactical approach is or what you want it to be. It's hard to win games when your passing isn't good. In this game, the US's passing accuracy was 70%. And there's not, it's hard to draw too much context from that. But when you couple that with what we just saw, it feels right compared to Australia's, which was 83%. So the U.S. didn't complete a, a super high percentage of their passes relative to the opposition, partially because they were, they were not clean with their passing in general. There were all these sloppy moments that we're talking about, but also partially because of their approach, right? We've talked about this possession spacing or the lack thereof, and that's a problem, especially if you're trying to be a high-volume, quality possession play type of team. I said this after the Sweden game, and a lot of this conversation is similar to, to some things we talked about after the Sweden game. I'm not so sure... That the US is trying to be that kind of team, that they want to actually control the ball and move it systematically and and play this beautiful soccer. They can, they have the talent to do so, but I haven't seen enough of that consistently under Vladko or even dating back to the Jill Ellis tenure to make me think that that is the primary attacking approach. To me, the primary attacking approach is we're looking for second balls, we're trying to play direct, and we're trying to go off of that. And that's not as fun to watch, and it's not exactly how I think I would approach soccer if I was in this position, but I'm not, so it doesn't matter. Instead, the US are going for that more direct second balls, first and seconds. We talked about that exact thing after the Sweden game. That's fine if you're winning your duels. And the U.S. in this game, this is, this is the issue. The U.S. didn't win their duels. They lost the duels battle. Forty. Uh, they lost the percentage 45 to 55. I'm pulling this from Twitter, NWSL Analytica, who's a good follow for women's soccer. They lost the duels percentage battle, and they lost the aerial duels percentage battle. And if you're the U.S., you either have to pass the ball cleaner and actually have depth and dimension in your space and to pass through midfield, or you have to play the ball long and win it. And the U.S. did neither one of those things in this game. They did neither one of those things in the Sweden game. And that's what concerns me. The context of this game means that the result is fine and it was good enough. The defensive performance was legitimately good, in my opinion. But attacking-wise, the things that I'm talking about, the things that we've talked about, these are, these are real problems. And if the U.S. isn't sharper in the final third, if they're not sharper with their passing, simple passes, and if they don't sort out their attacking approach I mean, they're not going to make it past the Netherlands in the next round. That's the reality of the situation right now. And some things definitely need to improve. All right. On the
2: other side of the break, I want to pick it up from there. I want to talk about maybe where the United States can improve, where they can go from here. We also have a couple Twitter questions to get to. But first, we're going to take a quick break. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code T-S-S. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code T-S-S to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. We are back, and I want to kind of summarize the game from a more positive mindset, and then I want to kind of Drill down on some of the stats that Joe just gave us, because I think there is a way of seeing this game in which the United States felt like it was unlikely Sweden were going to lose. So it was therefore very unlikely that they were ever going to top the group, which I believe is what would have had to happen. So I I think there's an argument to be made, and this is what I thought was going to be the case, that they wanted to basically changed their approach against a team that was going to be more high pressure, more intensity, because they struggled so poorly against Sweden. And I felt like if they come up against another team that does that and does some of the things that Sweden did successfully, I think the U.S. would be in trouble. So against Australia, I feel like they wanted to change their game plan to effectively nullify those attacking threats, and I think they did that. And I think by the time in the second half that they could have kind of taken the game under control and tried to find a way to win... Uh, Sweden are well ahead of New Zealand or beating New Zealand they're not going to, to top the group the United States so at that point it's about sort of getting fresh legs on Lynn Williams is in and now she's in the Olympic squad officially and I think you get sort of like some players off the pitch you get a little bit more of a rest and this game ended up being pretty dull in that second half and that's not a positive spin necessarily I think it's a more neutral, unemotional understanding of things. But, Joe, then when you look at those duels and the kind of fight and just the overall vibe, the problem that I keep having difficulty shaking is a feeling about this team that there doesn't seem to be a ton of collective fighting spirit. And I'm choosing those words mostly carefully because I don't want this to come down to, like, the U.S. just needs more heart. I I, I do not enjoy that level of analysis. But what I I did see on a a lot of occasions was just if things weren't working or they almost worked, there just wasn't a ton of response. And I'm the person who watches replays of the celebrations of a goal to see who celebrates the most and who didn't celebrate much or, Oh, those two players hugged. They don't normally hug. Like I care about that little stuff. And with this team, like Kristen press has that one moment when she's played in by Alex Morgan. It's a great ball. And her first touch takes her away from goal across the face of goal. And it's just too heavy. She gets a sort of tame shot on target and just kind of turns and jogs back to the middle and that was the vibe from the team throughout it just felt like there was this like ah that didn't work back we go oh that pass didn't come off oh well and and it and it was just a never getting out of that first gear never getting into that like You want to see that player bend over and do the big clapping, like, let's go, we got to pick it up. And there just didn't seem to be that intensity. And that is the lingering concern I have is with other US women's teams. I feel like we've seen that fight, that spirit going back to Abby Wambach. And obviously before her, there's just this sort of motivation to find a way to win. And I don't know if I've seen that as much from this team so far. And that really is my my like lingering doubt, my frustrating concern in the back of my head. So I turn it to you two to ask, do you all share that sentiment? Am I being too harsh or too lazy in the analysis? Like I, I welcome being told, no, I think you're maybe being a little bit neurotic and then I will feel better somehow. So Jordan, we'll start yeah. with you. Okay. What, what, what do you think of that long and meandering explanation for how things stand?
3: I think the synopsis of the game is pretty spot on. And I think there's things that I can pull out of what you're saying there. I just don't think we've seen this team get their confidence rattled Mm -hmm. like this for a long time. Yep. And that's what it is to me. Their confidence was rattled. And confidence is a fragile thing. And the uh, psychological part of the game is, uh, is something that you work on all the time because you know how fragile it is. And I think that we're seeing this us team be challenged in a way that we don't normally see them and they don't they're not normally challenged like this they're not normally beat off the field in a game and then have to respond and um they did respond but then to come out and be asked to do something different and and yes they got what they needed out of this game but i do agree there were moments where it just felt like wow they don't normally do that i remember that Kristen press moment and i'm like she never does yeah, that. She right? never takes a sloppy touch inside the box. She's like, you know, perfect touch right down to her foot, her other foot, plants, shoots, scores. It's a very, that was felt like a very Kristen Press. Here comes another goal. Yep. She's so good at this type of moment. So I do think it's, you know, part of it's confidence, but I do look back into, I don't know if you guys remember this, 2015 World Cup. The group stage was pretty... Mm-hmm. Uninspiring from the US. And there were moments, and I remember having these conversations because there were there were times where this US team wasn't high pressing. And I was like, what are they doing? That's one of their best qualities, is just making teams feel like they are breathing down their necks. And it was like a flip switched when they went into the knockout stage. And then they just found a way to win. And I have feelings of that going into the knockout stage. Like this team knows how to win. And at the end of the day, this team knows how to win. Well, how are they going to adjust? Because now we've had three games in a week, right? Not only are you physically fatigued, but now you're trying to regain your confidence in in a tough turnaround window, playing one of the you know one of the top teams in the world next in this next matchup in the first matchup of the knockout rounds confidence is going to be something that they they should be speaking over each other right now and not not to the fact that they're overconfident but i really do think that they have to play with that edge um and that edge is the the heart right like working for each other i think number 1 the movement off the ball has to be the biggest thing and now i'm just talking about something different um but so joe i'll i'll see what you have to say
1: <laughs> i guess I-, I feel you jordan i feel you i guess i'm hesitant to dip my toes too far in the, into this discussion, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I think for this game, there's so much context that's required. Maybe that's actually overcomplicating it. There's not that much context required here. The U.S. didn't need a sterling performance to win, to, to make it out of this yeah, group, which true. was their, their primary objective. Vlatko said after the game, oh, our first goal was to win and our second goal was to get out of the group. We didn't accomplish our first goal, but we got the second one and we're happy. That's a, a summary and a paraphrase. But I think that's that's true, right? The U.S.'s performance, especially in the second half, it was very clear that these two teams were okay with this result. Uh And I think when you're okay with leaving a game with a nil-nil draw, you know in the back of your mind that you're fine to get out of this by not scoring and not conceding. You're going to play conservative. We saw that reflected in the U.S.'s defensive approach. But you're also not going to be as bothered about missing a shot or or taking a poor touch or whatever the mistake, quote-unquote, might be you're not as fussed about that because you know what the real objective is. You know the real objective is to get out of the group after the result that you had against Sweden. That, that was always the goal for the next two games. And the U.S. did that. And so it's just really hard for me yeah. to... Maybe it's not nitpicking, but it's hard for me, Taylor, to go back to your original point, to like get too uh, too bothered about it, I guess. And maybe that's foolish. Maybe that's naive on my part and it shows my lack of experience playing in a setting like this. But for me, it really does all boil down to job done. And I have beef with certain parts. I've used the word beef a lot on this show. I don't know what's going on with that. It's like Arby's is sponsoring us when they're not. That's more of an allocation disorder move. Either way, there are (laughs) issues here. And I think we've done a good job of talking about them, but, but still the main point is job, job done. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Can I just add one more thing? Like I do think that connecting those passes that we mentioned builds confidence and it's small confidence. But it's knowing, okay, we can play through these lines and we can connect these passes. So I think you can't forget, like, those are the hard things that the team's going to be like, why aren't we, you know, why aren't we thinking about that? But at the same time, you do have to be a goldfish, right? To bring another Ted Lasso. I know you brought the yips in earlier. (laughs) Uh, You have to be a goldfish and just let some of these things go and say, this is a brand new tournament. Now we're starting with this game against the Netherlands and we move on and we move forward. And um, we forget about those little things because we know who we are and we can we can get through these next few games and be on the podium
2: is now now where I, I incur the wrath of both of you by saying that I have not seen more than like one minute of Ted Lasso. (laughs) <laughs> it's okay. Like It's it's fine. I think the listeners will probably be a little bit more
1: upset yeah, about I that.
2: It's, yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. I'm anticipating. Oh, you <laughs> like it. When I, you when like I wrote it, that me. tweet about Sammy was having the yips and everybody was like, Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso. I was like, oh, all right, maybe I, I finally have to start watching if I'm going to start referencing things accidentally. Uh, it means it's maybe maybe <laughs> seeping into the consciousness. Who knows? But Jordan, I'm also glad you bring up the 2015 World Cup for a moment because that was one that when Daryl and I were covering that, there was much more frustration with the team, especially in the in the group stage and as they went into the kind of early rounds of the knockout round of not winning convincingly, not sort of putting teams to bed and not like dominating from start to finish. And and there are shades of that here. I think just the big difference is is that loss to Sweden. And it felt like if the United States had had drawn that game against Sweden, then they uh-huh. win against New Zealand, then they draw today, that feels sort of similar to 2015 and that it's like yeah. yeah, they played some good teams, they figured some things out. It's a growing process, we're learning. But I think because of the loss and uh-huh. then this performance today, okay. I, i'm I think I'm just less inclined to believe like okay, we're learning, we're figuring things out, and they very well may be and and right. as I said in the in the kind of beginning summary, like, I think there's a chance that they figured some things out about how to deal with a high pressing team and ways they want to nullify that or let the team tire themselves out, and then in the second half, they go back to a more possession oriented keep the ball, move it, frustrate, and wear yeah. that uh, opposition down, mm-hmm. and then you win one nil and in the knockout round. 1-0 is a great result and what you yep. definitely want. So I think it, it all goes back to the very early part of this show of we just don't know yet. And if the United yeah. States like only gets through on penalties in the next round or doesn't make it out against the Netherlands, then I think we know, yeah, the the confidence really did take a huge hit and they haven't really recovered. And now we see how Vlatko rebuilds this team. I'm assuming he will still be there regardless of that result against the Netherlands. Uh, but, but I think overall you all have made me feel more positive or, or, or less hysterical. <laughs> this was me being hysterical, <laughs> I guess. But I do, I do sort of feel like, okay, we've learned some things, we figured some things out, and if they end up winning it, people will forget the kind of group stage confusion. So let's hope for that. But for right now, let's answer a few questions. Joe, I'll turn it to you from at Blue City Radio. Which star, quote-unquote, player, would you remo- remove from the starting lineup to send a message to the team that the energy level needs to increase?
1: I mean, we've already seen some rotation, mm-hmm. right? So this is a little challenging. I, I would probably, though, still remove Megan Rapino from mm. from the knockout run from this quarterfinal game just because I think we've seen her be able to bring something off the bench. And so I don't know if this gets the message across. But maybe you have a little bit more success with Tobin Heath providing the individual 1v1 ability that she has. Like if we don't see the overall possession or overall second ball direct scheme improve, if either one of those paths – don't, don't improve for the U.S., then I think you might need some of that individual 1v, 1v1 ability. And so adding Tobin Heath is an advantage, and, and maybe getting Megan Rapino to come in as a sub gets that message across. I'm not so sure, but that that could be an okay tactical change for the Netherlands game. Jordan, what do you think about that one or any other changes
2: you'd like to see?
3: Yeah, I think that's the big one that I would see. I would start Lindsay Horan. When she came in the game. Um, and this is the type of movement that I think that the U.S. flourishes off of. She got the ball. She moved. She found the pockets of space. She pulled a defender out. And then it's, okay, using that to then initiate other players to move around you. Because I do think that the U.S. have the ability to pass around teams. But if you can't connect those first few passes, it, it makes you feel a little skeptical of your ability. So I think that Lindsey Horan starts and Sam US, um does not. So those are, I agree with Joe's as well.
2: All right. So we would go then – would we go Heath and press wide with uh, Horan in the middle with Ertz and Lavelle?
3: Yes. That's what I would do.
2: Joe, are you okay with that? Yeah. No, I, I'm totally fine with that. What about at that number nine spot? I think this, again, is where I have some confusion about this team that I think going into the knockout round, typically with the U.S. women's national team, we know – 10 of the 11 starters or 9 of the 11 starters mm-hmm. here, I think we could probably get 11 for 11 if we picked our lineup, but we could also go like 6 for 11 with some of these. So yeah, is it Alex Morgan or is it Carly Lloyd? Jordan, do you have a preference there? Gosh. It's tougher I, than I, it should be, I think.
3: Yeah, it is tougher than it should be. I think Carly Lloyd would have been the better pick in this particular game just mm-hmm. because I think she could have come off the back line and connected in those spaces that I mentioned in the buildup. Um, which, not that Alex Morgan can't do that, but that's not her strength. And she wants to run in behind. She wants to find those, those spaces. So if the game is a little bit more wide open, I mean, a little bit more wide open is a lot more wide open than this one was. Um, and there is space in behind, I think Alex Morgan is the right choice. But, um, I, I've liked what Carly Lloyd has brought to that nine spot. Um, And now that you said that, Taylor, now I'm thinking about the center backs, too. I don't know who you start there.
2: And even at right back, I didn't think Kelly O'Hara had her her best game. I thought sometimes she over-pursued or was too aggressive pursuing the ball and left her mark wide open. Other times, I think with some of her passing out, it wasn't particularly stellar. So I, I don't know. If she is nailed on, starting it right back over Emily Sonnet, I think she will. I also think this was probably Tierna Davidson's audition to start over Abby Dahlkemper. But I think, to Joe's point, I had that same uh, minute noted as Tierna Davidson. I think that was the third time in the opening 13 minutes or so that she, when pressed, uh, either like gave the ball away, got it back, and then completed a pass, or played a ball out of bounds. But either way, I don't think it was the strongest display from her. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's Crystal done at left back, if it's Dahl Kemper coming back in with Sauerbrunn mm-hmm. and then Emily Sonnet or Kelly O'Hara. I think it really could be either one. Um, any other lineup uh, conversations or thoughts, Joe or Jordan? Uh, I, no, I don't, yep. I don't think so. For me. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Cause I, I, like, I think, I think again, we're not trying to say this is definitely what's going to get the result. We're just, I, I think, trying right. to look at this and think what have we learned what team puts us in the strongest position? And and really, I think with that conversation, like having been had, that's a strange phrasing. Uh, really, the big question for me remains Alex Morgan versus Carly Lloyd. Because if oh. you go back to Carly Lloyd, it is sort of Morgan Lloyd, Morgan Lloyd. And that speaks to inconsistency or maybe it's rotation. But to me, it's a little bit too much rotation. But then if you bench Alex Morgan again, and there's the meme Plenty of people have already posted that one of her kind of being frustrated at the end of this game. Does that generate negativity? Does that generate negative headlines? I think that's going to be a... difficult line for Vlatko to walk and a difficult uh, decision for him uh, come game day. So I'm glad we don't have to make that. Instead, we do have to uh, answer a few more questions. Um, SCR Bear, Soccer Bear 29, uh, how did the U.S. not score in two out of their three games? I am so confused. I think we've talked about this in the show and at various points in other shows. uh, But do either of you have sort of... A bullet point that you'd like to throw out as to why the U.S. has been inconsistent
1: in front of goal. I can do it. I can do it. Let me just do that. three bullet points. Uh, <laughs> passing bad, uh, attacking approach unclear. Actually, two bullet points. Boom, did it. Done
2: and offside.
1: Yeah, there it is, Jordan. we to bring it home.
2: <laughs> Actually, yeah, Jordan. We, we, like <laughs> I, I really thought about that for a while today. Of like, if the U.S. keeps having offside opportunities, or just keeps being offside, like is that representative of a problem or is that just them being aggressive in their attacking approach? Uh,
3: mm, both. Think? I think they are aggressive in their attacking approach and that's something that they're always going to bring, but I do think it speaks to what I talked about earlier of them pressing the game, mm-hmm. right? They're I, I do think that they're making decisions that they normally wouldn't make because they're trying to score so des like at moments desperately. They they just are not used to being, you know, starting mm-hmm. a tournament with a loss or losing at all. And so I do think that they're pressing the game a little bit. And when you're pressing the game, it's hard to be in flow. It's hard to be in that state where the creativity is just oozing out of you, and you can make these little connections. And Tobin Heath does her little flicks and gets around a player. So I do think that that is part of the issue too, and something that you know is hard. There, I, I would imagine there's a lot of conversations and even time just like. Re- it's in in like a meditative state where they're just remembering and trying to work on relaxing and knowing that they don't have to press this because they they can break down teams um so i think that that's part of it
2: If that makes sense. It does. It does. Uh, We are going long. I don't want to go too much longer. I will just say uh, the USA will be playing the Netherlands. I think it's 7 or 7.30 in the morning on Friday. Slightly more manageable than 4 (laughs) a.m. You think? Uh, The three of us (laughs) will be back to review that one. Hopefully U.S win i'm gonna ask you final final thing then what is the thing that you all would like to see aside from a result in that game uh and i will start to buy you some time one thing i would like to see is the united states come under pressure in those opening 10 minutes or so and let's say they do have one where maybe the ball goes to abby doll kemper she's got somebody pressuring her she plays that same pass to crystal Dunn, but it goes out of bounds like we talked about with tierna davidson mm-hmm. if the next time abby doll gets the ball if she completes a pass to Crystal Dunn or she turns and and splits two, like pressing uh, opponents and plays the ball into the feet of Julie Ertz or Lindsey Horan or whoever it might be, I want to th- see the United States kind of remain committed to keeping the ball and not just, oh, we lost it a couple times, just go long, just go long, get it out of here. Like I know you have to clear sometimes, when in doubt, kick it out. But I think other times when confidence is shaken... Keep possession? That doesn't really rhyme. I, I could have maybe worked on that one a bit more, but that's my on-the-fly one. It's just sort of, I, like I want to see the U.S. keep possession and just look less rattled in those opening 15 minutes. So that's one thing I would like to see next game. Joe, what about you?
1: Yeah, Taylor, I like you trying to charm your way into our hearts with your rhyming schemes there. it's good work. For me, it, it is committing to either... Pathway that I've talked about, either either using the ball effectively and spacing yourself out in light of that or winning the duels. And so it's, it's doing one of those things and really committing to it and doing it well. I don't much care which one it is. Teams across the world have been effective doing both of those things, playing more vertically or, or playing a little bit slower and then finding gaps and going. It doesn't matter to me which way this U.S. team goes, but I feel like they've just been teetering on the edge back and forth between that. They've been fence sitting like I sit on the fence when Ryan asked me to make a prediction (laughs) And, and they can't afford to do that. I don't think at this point. So something just picking a side, pick a side, folks, pick a side. Uh, if you want to win it all, keep the ball. There we go, uh,
2: Jordan.
0: <laughs> oh, there, gosh, he just
3: needed a beat to to get that in. I love it, um,
2: Jordan. What about you? I feel like
3: I feel like mine kind of is both of yours meshed together. I, I just feel like in order for them to be successful, I think the movement in supporting situations has to be sharper. And I think that's a reason why the U.S. has gone long so much is because the movement off the ball has lacked. And so the option is, OK, let's play one of our players in behind. Move off the ball with conviction that you want the ball, even if it's in a tight space. Julie Ertz can handle it. Yep. So can Sam Mewis. So can Rose LaBelle and Lindsay Horan, everyone in the midfield. Just those supporting roles when someone's on the ball to give angles that are a little sharper. I think if they can pick up that, which is a very, you know, that's a very key thing. Um, Jerry Smith, my coach in college, used to say, if you're in a slump, work hard, stay positive and um, communicate. And I think the work hard part is is that, right? Just making sure your time, your, your movement off the ball is just a little sharper so that player knows they have an option. I think that can open up situations where you can then commit to being a possession-oriented team and you can move the ball and play for all. What would you say? <laughs> forgot,
1: right uh, if you want to move win it
2: all, play keep that for ball. All. Uh, and completed passes, <laughs> completed passes from Dahl Kemper will help with Twitter's temper. There's another Ooh, one for you. Wow. Uh, but we've, I think, now spent plenty of time talking about a nil-nil draw that was sort of a dead rubber at the end of the group stage. Uh, we will so have funny. Friday to review the U.S. in the knockout round. But for now, Jordan Angeli thank you so much for taking an hour to talk about USA and Australia.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun.
2: Joe Lowry, thank you for taking an hour and a little bit more (laughs) to talk about USA and Australia. You got it, Taylor. Listeners, thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk to you all again very soon.